um, deserve more unpacking than I'm going to give them today. Uh, they're part of the Olivet Discourse, and there's lots of study that could be involved with the timing and who it was directed to and what time period it's, uh, future time period it's referring to. But the assignment is on the uh, command to the disciples. So I'm going to be focused on what the Lord was trying to teach his disciples more than the context of the passage and the end time relevancy to it all. You're more than welcome to study it all on your own um, and to be just as confused as I often am and what I'm getting to this part of uh, the Gospels. Um, I don't want to forget to say thank you for all the prayers over the last month. We've um, we had a great time. Um, other than our um, initial flight into um, North Eleuthera, where we were close to touching down, and then the pilot decided he couldn't see the runway, so he took off like a jet, a uh, fighter jet, and we literally. The wheels were down, we could touch the trees almost, and then we were up into the clouds um, and circled and then was diverted to a different airport and then finally went back. Other than that excitement, it was pretty ho-hum. I preached 14 messages. Wendy played four times a week, I think, at the the assembly. They were out without their piano players. They were all out on the lobster boats. So we were kept plenty busy and we had a great time and we appreciated it. Appreciated your prayers. Um, it was a blessed, a blessed time. And I could honestly say, I mean, one of our concerns was the ability to work while we were down there. And um, I was never convinced about the effectiveness of remote working, but I experienced it now for a month. And it can be done. <laughs> so now when my staff tells me they're going to work from home, air quotes, I might have to believe them. Um, I didn't used to. I think they were all just playing hooky, but um, now I believe them. So be alert, be ready. Um, this is probably a little off topic, but I was watching, I, ha- I got a chance on Saturday to watch a little bit of the U.S. Open, the men's tennis, well, the, the men's tennis championship in New York right now. And uh, the prior week, one of the American tennis players, um, John Isner, had announced he was going to retire after the this U.S. Open. He's very old. He's 38. Um, and he had decided he had had enough and he was going to retire. Um, and he lost in the second round. And um, he was being interviewed afterwards and he could barely speak. Like he was that emotional that this was his last tennis match. And of course, I'm... I'm studying for this message and had some messages down there that I was looking at as well. And um, we were while we were there, I was teaching from the book of Acts on New Testament church and New Testament principles. And one of the things that is so, we, we take for granted, um, but one of the things that is such a blessing about the way God has organized his church, local church, is that we never are not needed until he calls us home. We're never our, our ministry may change. You know, what we did when we were 28 may look very different than what we're able to do at 58. But as long as we're here, and everyone in this room is still here, so as long as we're here, the Lord still needs us, 
and the assembly needs us. You know, here's this guy at 38 whose entire identity has been spent playing professional tennis, and he's a good guy. Like, there, no one says a bad thing about him. He's made 21 million dollars. Obviously, he doesn't have to work, but thousands and thousands of hours spent playing tennis, and in an instant, his identity. Is entirely different now. He's a retired professional tennis player, and what's he going to do on Monday? There are no retired Christians. Like it's just not a thing. Again, I you know we we um, remembered our sister Natalie in her home home going, and brother brother Bill when he was here before he moved, he was boots on doing work, and Jim and Ruth and others that are just continuing on, and um, there is no retirement. Again, it may look different when, when, when you know, with with Wendy's aunt Nancy passing. We talked about all the things that Steve and Nancy were involved in, and how it changed over time. And Nancy and Lois kept going on and would go to camp years after Steve stopped. You know, and and Nancy, the number of people that Nancy have, has fed in her life is countless. You know, just just but ministries change and and it looks different, but. Until the Lord calls us home, he has a purpose for us. And the connection to this, if you allow me to do that, the connection to this is until the Lord calls us home, we're exhorted to be ready and to be alert. And they're, they're related um, because it talks about the service. One of the last uh, verses we're going to look at, and a verse that I remember reading probably 10, 15 years ago, and just feeling like, I'm sure it's happened to most of you in the audience, but when you read a verse, and you probably have read it multiple times before, but you read it afresh and anew and your heart's sensitive to it, and I felt like I was smacked in the face when Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Like, that's the standard. Like, that's the standard. In the middle of tax season, all we can think about is getting to April 15th and then breathing. But for believers... There's this exhortation, like it's, there's no, there are seasons, but there's not a retirement season, an off season. You know, I have 2030 circled on my calendar. 1231, 2030 is my last day of full-time work, Lord willing. Not by my choice, but I'm really looking forward to it. I was talking to one of the elders down there, we were scheduling some things for future years. I said, you know, in 2030, I can do four, four months in the Bahamas. You know, don't, don't be shy. Because I'll be retired at that point. And he goes, I don't know about that, brother. I said, I know. I don't wouldn't wish that on anyone. But there is no retirement season for us. And we have an exhortation to fulfill our ministry and to be alert and to be ready. So turn with me to Matthew 24, verse 42. This is the Lord Jesus, and he is speaking to his disciples. And it is called in many times the Olivet Discourse. And it would be an interesting study to have sometime at the at the assembly, uh, maybe on a Wednesday night, some nice back and forth and thoughts shared on that. I'm going to avoid the context. Verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son is ma- man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is this faith, is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? 
Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servant, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as we look at this this passage, and we're going to look at several others, there are several things that I believe the Lord is teaching us, and several things we have to, not assume, but um, include in the thinking. There is clearly an exhortation in this passage about being alert, and being ready. And being diligent in serving the Lord. Like it's not just being alert and ready. It's being alert and ready and doing what the Lord would have us to do. Right? Like that's that's the um, exhortation that goes along with being alert and being ready. I was talking to some of the, uh, the, the assembly we were just at. They have a 30 person choir. And, um, and and they sing on Sunday nights for the gospel. There's a gospel meeting on Sunday nights that is then broadcast on uh, Bahamas cable TV. And it sets such a nice tone for the go- preaching of the gospel. And I said to the gospel, uh, the choir the one night, wouldn't it be wonderful if you were singing about the blood of Jesus when he returned? Like, there's a picture involved, and, and those of us that are old enough to have gone to the um, Williams Bible study in New Jersey... Um, Eddie Williams, the, the, the older son of the family that would host it, always talked about how he hoped the Lord was, would come back when he was handing a tract to someone and how the tract would just flutter to the ground. So there's this idea of being ready and being alert, but there's also an idea of serving. But along the, with that, and, and we're going to talk about this throughout the message, along with that, our Lord is a loving lo- lo- uh, Father. And, and again, contextually, there's this, com- there's this comment at the end about those that aren't caught serving are going to be thrown into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, that has to do more contextually with the, the time period that this passage is specifically talking about. We, as believers in Christ, we are not living in fear of being cast out. Um, and we're going to study John 15, Lord willing, on Wednesday night if, he, if the Lord doesn't return. Um, I, I have that passage, so I'm pretty sure we're studying John 15 on Wednesday night. Um, and there's this part about a vine that doesn't bear fruit, it's cast away. Like, that's not talking about our salvation. Like, one of the things that we can be absolutely sure about is that when we're saved, we're gloriously kept. Like, we, are, we have eternal salvation, eternal life. And so this isn't talking, it's not a warning about you better be alert or when I return, if you're not alert, then you're going to somehow lose your place in heaven. This is not what it's about at all. Most of you know my my history, my background. When I was saved in 1990, I was attending um, a Pentecostal church. And there came a point of time several years into my attendance there where I realized I was given some very good books, <laughs> was reading some very good books, and I taught the youth group about Noah's Ark and the one door 
and a closing it and being locked in there forever, and then I was told afterwards that that's not what they believe. Like, they believed you could lose your salvation. I remember my friend who he and and Jim actually officiated at our wedding. I, I remained friends with him while he lived in the area. I remember him talking about how as a teenager he was so worried about missing curfew because if he somehow was late for curfew when the Lord came back, he'd lose his salvation. Well, where's the peace in that? Where's the peace in that? There is no peace. You know, the love of God constrains us. We desire to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because of what he did for us, not out of fear, not out of an unhealthy fear, let me say. It's because we care that he cares about us. And so this be alert, be ready is not a warning as much as it's an encouragement and it's an exhortation. It's not a warning about our salvation. It's not something that we should leave here going, man, I need to go preach on the street corner every Sunday or if the Lord comes back, he's going to be disappointed with me and somehow we're going to lose our salvation. There are, there are several verses in Scripture, more than several. There's several passages in Scripture that talks about the Lord's return for his people, his children, the rapture, where when we're taken to be with him, there's going to be a time where he rewards us. We're going to get, um, probably it seems like most of us, uh, the, the rewards are the form of crowns. And since we read Revelation 4 this morning, the crowns are really not for our enjoyment, it's for casting them at the feet of the Lord Jesus, right? And so the rewards, the, the, uh, the exhortation about being alert, being ready, is not only because the Father loves us and wants us to have a healthy, thriving, abundant life, but there are rewards attached with that healthy, thriving, abundant life. This is not about scaring us into service. It's not about scaring us into being zealous. It's about encouraging us to live a life that is worthy of God, right? So if you go back to verse 42, the exhortation at the very beginning is, therefore, stay awake. Now, therefore, why is therefore there? there? It's because the Lord was teaching on his return. And again, I, I tend to think that, that because of the setting of this, the audience, I tend to think of this being as his return with the church, to rule and to reign in righteousness, to judge those that are left after the rapture. Um, I won't be dogmatic about that, and I don't think it really um, impacts the exhortation for us today. But because there's this discussion about his return with the bride, or with the bridegroom, I should say, us with him, let me just say that, there's this exhortation to, exhortation to stay awake. For we don't know the day of the Lord. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. Obviously, after the rapture, there is a time essence to what takes place after that. And so, um, we will be with Christ, and we would be able to figure out that seven years later, we're going to return with him to rule and to reign. Judgment in between, lots of judgment in between. But we don't know when Christ is coming back for us. And so at this moment, the, world, the earth doesn't know, the, the world, its systems and its non, um, 
non-regenerated um, souls here, the unregenerated souls, they don't know when the rapture is happening or the return of Christ in righteousness. Um, but because of this unknown, we're to be alert, we're to be awake, we're to be ready. And, and I think the reason being is that, and we all, so... I used to think I wasn't a procrastinator, but I'm pretty sure I'm a procrastinator from time to time now. If we know, knew that Christ was returning on December 31, 2030, when would we be most zealous? Tomorrow or December 30, 30th, 2030? Right? When would we, we be most zealous? The day before, if we knew, right? What, when is the busiest shopping day of the year? Well, probably not the busiest anymore because of quote-unquote black. December 24th. It's like Christmas sneaks up on people every year. Just like April 15th sneaks up on 50% of my clients. They're like, oh, well, you know, can you still do my taxes? It's April 14th. Yeah, shockingly, they move the tax deadline every year, and you never know what day it falls on, right? No, you know every year, and every year you know Christmas is December 25th, but X percentage of, of Americans are still flooding the mall on December 24th. Why? Because they wait to the last minute. Deadlines produce a sense of urgency. Deadlines produce a sense of urgency. And the same would be true for you and I. If we knew when Christ was coming back, there'd be a sense of urgency the closer we got to that day. And so the exhortation is needed to be alert, to be awake, to be ready, because you do not know the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord will take place, right? When we talk about the rapture, we talk about it being imminent. And the idea of imminent is not immediate. It is that it could be at any moment. Right? It's not that it's going to be tomorrow, or it's going to be this year, but it could be. It could be. And that's the essence in which we should live. Now, the, the caveat, not caveat, because that's not really what I mean to say, the um, collaborative truth with that is that it shouldn't produce a panic either. Like God is not scaring us into this service. He's coaching us into it and encouraging us into it. But the fact that this that the return is also imminent means that we have to continue to live a life um, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. The other thing that would happen is if we knew that the Lord was returning October 31 of this year, those of us that have to work at the moment, probably most of us would quit saying, well, we know, you know, they can have my Amex bill in November. I'm gone. You know, and just charge it up and not worry about making money and leave and, and just witness, right? But the idea of imminency means that there's this tension between we need to live a life as pilgrims and strangers here on earth while being intentional and diligent in serving the Lord. And we need to be alert and ready and awake because we don't know when all of a sudden that will change. When the Lord will come back and receive us unto himself and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? That sounds like a wonderful idea, doesn't it? Sounds like a wonderful idea.
if we knew, it says in verse 43, if we knew this, and this is what I've been talking about in anecdotes, is biblical. If we knew when the master was coming back, we would be found awake. We would be found awake. I think one of the reasons why I prefer in-office working is I can see what's happening. I was always told that when I was out of the office, um, the staff was a little more chatty with each other and are taking a little bit longer breaks and doing a little bit more, a um, little bit less work than when I was there. It's kind of human nature, I think, right? In a, for a lot of us, it. kind of human nature. If they knew I was coming back at a certain time, and this is probably more relevant to camp staff than my professional services staff, they'd be diligent in serving. Diligent in serving. He would, if, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Right? If we know when things are going to happen, we'd be diligent. We'd be alert. Awake. Verse 44, Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. I was trying to think of how different people might grapple with that truth. And I was, ultimately, we know that God is a loving God. And so his not telling us is a loving thing. Like, it's good we don't know. We've just talked about some of the reasons why. It's good we don't know. Because it creates that tension, a healthy tension of, are living here as pilgrims and strangers, paying our bills, loving our families, being good in the community, being light in a dark in dark, being salt, and serving him creates this tension. Verse forty six Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing, in other words, say, serving, being faithful steward when he comes. One of the other, verse 47, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. There's a lot about eternity I don't know. I, I'm reading right now, um, I think it's called Bringing Many Sons Into Glory. It's David Gooding's daily devotion, devotional. And he was talking about, um, a couple days ago, he was talking about being faithful, and then when you get to heaven... He thinks you're going to be given a number of galaxies to rule based on how faithful you were. Like, galaxies? I have a hard enough time managing my own calendar. Like, how are you going to manage a galaxy? And there's such a, there is a biblical principle, and, and, and it's, it's very clear if you, when you study stewardships. It's even clear when you study the requirements and qualifications of elders and deacons um, that when you are faithful... God gives you more. And when you're faithful with that, God gives you more. And when you're faithful with that, God gives you more. Now, more doesn't necessarily mean bigger, better, but just continues to give you more opportunities to serve. Um, and we see that. There's a young man in, in um, where we came from recently that we had dinner on, I guess, Thursday night. And... Um, talking about he's 26 which I was shocked at because I would have 
guessed he was 18, but I have lose track of people getting older. Um, he was talking about how he thinks the Lord is calling him out of the current occupation and into full-time work. And we talked a lot about the necessity for him to be faithful in the local assembly and watch the Lord open doors for you to serve more and different and broader. Um, It's a biblical principle. He'll set him over all his possessions. Let's um, turn with me, if you will, to Luke 12. There's a couple passages that were part of this assignment. A couple we're going to get to that are not part of this assignment. Same idea. Verse 35 of Luke 12. Stay dressed for action. I think the King James says, um, gird up your loins, right? Stay dressed for action. And the idea with the loins was they, they used to wear long flowing robes. And they would have to use some sort of belt or rope and bring up the ropes, the ropes you wouldn't trip on it when you were running, right? Like that's the, the idea here. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them reclined at table and he will come in and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Turn with me to um, verse 48. I'm going to skip over Peter's back and forth there. In verse 48, But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's, again, another principle that's associated with what we're talking about, serving uh, the Lord and being diligent is that when you are given much, much is required, right? When you're given much, much is required. And I would say everyone in this room, much has been given to. We live in a country where we can freely serve the Lord without fear of arrest, uh, repercussions, at least at this moment, at this time, that's true. Um, We don't even really face much persecution. Clearly the culture is more and more opposed to truth. Um, and opposed to us, but we really don't face a lot of persecution. There will come a day, every one of us that's working in a largish entity is going to come a day when we're confronted with something that we're going to have to deal with. And the Lord give us strength and grace at that that period of time. But there's this idea that if you continue to serve, God is a faithful servant. God is a faithful God. And he will give you more and more and more opportunity. And he will be um, requiring more out of you as well. Go back to verse 35. And here's this idea of being alert, being ready. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men and gird up 
or wait, waiting for the master to come home from the feast so that the, they may open the door to him at once. Look at verse 37 again. That the master finds awake. Verse 38, and finds them awake. There's this idea that we are awake, that we're not lulled into the cares and concerns of this world. That we're not overwhelmed with uh, the things of this world, our job, our families, leisure, um, hobbies, our yards, our home, whatever, whatever it may be. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you do, the easier it is to be overwhelmed and lulled away from the Lord. Ministry can also be, or... Uh, our participation in ministry can also be overwhelming. And in some ways, when you're overwhelmed, you're no longer really awake or ready. You're in a sense of panic, if you will. You're in a sense of, of distraction, or disorientation, you're no longer prepared, you're overwhelmed. The world and, and the leisure, you know, it's easy when you um, are an outsider looking in. You know, so we went, we, this was our fourth trip to this um, particular assembly in doing, you know, extended ministry there. And so as an outsider, you look in and you say, oh, so-and-so is not there. He was here two years ago. And then you find out that so-and-so bought a new boat. And the weekends are a wonderful time to be on your new houseboat out on the beautiful Caribbean Sea. Well, the weekend also conflicts with the meetings of the church, right? <laughs> right? And so then you find out that, oh, so-and-so's this and that, right? And it, and it because it's not gradual... Um, and it's more evident. It's more evident. And so we face the temptation, especially as people that live in a time where we have experienced incredible prosperity in our, in, in our generation, the generation before me and the generation after me, experienced incredible prosperity. We pretty much can do whatever we want, whenever we want. And that's not always good, right? That's not always good. Because it also means that we can do it without regard to um, our commitment to the Lord and our service to the Lord. So there's these various things that would cause us to be not ready, to be overwhelmed or lulled to sleep. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be ready. Verse 40, again, here's this reason why. And the, the reason why is because our loving Father has decided not to tell us when His Son is returning, either for the church or with the church. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are we ready? Look at Luke 21 and verse 34. We were just talking about this a second ago. 
verse 34 or 21. I said 24. I apologize. Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. When I was talking to this young man, he had just, um, and this is partly why I was cautioning him about jumping into this because I'm not sure if it's a reaction to something else but he had broken off a relationship with a young woman um, who he said was going to hold him back Um, I'm sure in looking back he might be thinking that I'm sure at the moment it wasn't what he was thinking but I was cautioning him not to go into full time work as an antidote to his heartache basically Um, and verse 34 talks about these cares of your heart um, cares of life and he was talking about as a single person I don't have any I don't have to worry about anyone else well the Lord has called single people into ministry obviously um, but the Lord has also used spouses and uh, or married couples and families in the ministry as well um, but the cares of life do complicate serving the Lord as well Verse 36, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The exhortation, one of the, not only about being ready and being alert, I think verse 34 is very helpful. Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. We can get very agitated and very occupied even with good things feeding the poor helping the um, homeless political agendas opposing some things supporting some things we can be very occupied with those things and it could become a distraction to our service right it could be it could in some ways it could um uh, augment, complement our service, but in some ways it could distract us from that. Very easily, causes and agendas and things like that can become a distraction. I want to look at um, two more passages that were not part of the assignment, but turn with me to 2 Timothy 4. I was thinking about this with how Paul... Paul would have been aware of this teaching. And obviously, from what we know in Scripture, Paul was faithful in serving. And he's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy I think is his last book, and he's writing to Timothy knowing that his end is near. And he says in verse 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, right? Just like the Lord is telling his disciples. Be alert, be ready. (coughs) Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he talks in verse 3 and 4 about what's going to happen as we get closer to end times. And you just read it, and it's exactly what's happening today. They will turn away from listening to truth and wander off with myths. I mean, one of the things that's absolutely crazy about our culture today is that whatever is true is called a lie, and whatever is a lie is celebrated as truth to that person. They don't even really want truth. They just want truth for as they see it, their truth. 
And the Bible talks about this. Like, we're not surprised. God's not surprised. And we shouldn't be surprised. Like, how did God let this happen? Well, he told us it was going to happen. But Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out. Verse 5, as for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If we're going to be alert and ready, if we're going to be intentional and diligent about the tension between walking in a manner worthy of our calling, living here as pilgrims and strangers, and serving the Lord until he returns... We're going to endure suffering. And it's going to be work. But the Lord has given each one of us a ministry. We often say that someone's in the ministry, and we all kind of know what they what we mean, but each and every one of us is in the ministry. And that he's given each and every believer, he's given each and every believer a spiritual gift that's meant to be used for the mutual edification of the saints and the equipping of the body of Christ. For most of us, that's the local assembly where that gift should be used and manifested and the emphasis should take place. Fulfill your ministry. And then Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. He's remained ready and alert, right? Like Paul we could look at, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's been uh, remained ready and alert. And I don't think you would say his life was crazy or disorderly either. There was intentionality. We're going to close by going to 1 Corinthians 12, which has nothing to do with being ready or alert, but I think it helps us to understand the end point of all of this, which is to fulfill our ministry. To be able to say, like Paul at the end of our life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Isn't that what we want? When 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 Nancy Aunt Nancy passed away, I could comfortably say she's finished the race. Like, she wasn't serving the same way she had, but there was a consistency in her commitment to the assembly, in her love for the Lord, in her support of the Lord's people. There was this consistency. Her life at 79 looked very different than it did at 69 or 59. But it was consistent. She's fought the good fight. She finished the race. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. You're familiar with this? But I thought about this as I was thinking about this, be ready, be active. Because I think sometimes our flesh, we go to both extremes and we're very poor at moderating things. The one extreme is that we're lulled to sleep by the things of this world, by the cares of this life. The other extreme is we are frantic, manic about, oh, I have to be ready, I have to be alert, I have to serve the Lord. But God is a God of order, and he's a God who wants us to be spiritually, physically, mentally healthy as we live a life where we're thriving, enjoying the abundant life that God gives us, and being light and salt in this world. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts. We understand that each of us has a spiritual gift. Not, Not one of us has the same gift. My brother Jonathan has the gift of teaching. It's evident when he's up here, he teaches. He teaches very differently than when I teach a passage. He studies Greek and the words and definitions, and I can't do any of that. And when I look at a passage, I'm asking the Lord, what's the one one point you want me to get across? 
And that's what the Lord usually gives me. Very different gifts. We would label them both teaching, but very different gifts. And each one of us has different gifts. Mercy, administration, helps, giving, generosity, hospitality, etc. All these different gifts. And there are varieties of service. I just gave an example. You can be, you can have three different teachers and they all teach in a different way. Our gifts manifest itself in different ways, different services, different ministries. I think of, I, I, you know, being down there for the primary purpose of teaching and teaching 14 uh, messages and there, Midweek prayer meeting is on Tuesday, so there's two messages on Sunday and one on Tuesday, and I was, Tuesday night I would just be like, I'm tired. You know, like, I'm tired. Um, and then Thursday night they'd have another meeting. But <clears throat> I was thinking of all these Sunday school teachers and so many different assemblies that week in, week out prepare a message. And on Sunday, on Wednesday nights, we always name the preacher and I'm thankful for the prayer, but there's Sunday school teachers who week in and week out are teaching Sunday school. And it takes probably more time to teach eight-year-olds than it does to teach you all. I don't have to worry about you rutching, as my grandmother would say, in your seat or misbehaving or getting your attention or keeping your attention. You're either going to fall asleep or you're going to listen. And I'm not going to do anything about it. In a Sunday school class, you have to maintain order and teach so all of these people teaching week in and week out, different service than someone that stands up once a week and shares from a platform. Different service. And then lastly in verse 6, there are a variety of activities. And this is where I think God is, a, is so loving and kind to us, is that Paul's exhortation to Timothy is fulfill your ministry. So for each one of us that has a gift, there's a gift and it manifests itself in different ways, but it also manifests itself in a different sphere. For a Sunday school teacher, their sphere is the local assembly in their class. They don't have to worry about teaching the 40 other kids that aren't in their Sunday school class. And so it prevents us, if we, if we grab a hold and understand what the Lord is giving us, we know that he's given us a gift. We know that how that gift is going to manifest itself. And we really should be very aware of where the gift is going to manifest itself. Again, for most of us, it's in the local assembly. For some, it's broader than that. But it helps us from thinking we have to do everything. Um, two godly brothers gave us very good advice decades ago. We've gotten very good advice throughout our life, but two come to mind that are that are related to this message. Brother Bob Gessner said to Wendy and I decades ago, you know, you don't have to do everything. I think we were running to every Bible study that they were that was being held, going everywhere, doing everything, and while at 31, you have energy to do it. At 51, you don't quite have the same energy. But there's wisdom in realizing that you don't have to do everything. There's a variety of gifts, a variety of services, and a variety of activities. And Steve Holsizer 
Bob was great because he gave you advice when you asked. Steve was great because he gave you advice when you didn't want it. So they were complementary to each other. Steve would often see the need to give you advice, whether you wanted it or not. And、um, he said to me at one point, and it was very good advice. Not every need is meant to be filled by you. Like, there's a lot of things you see that needs to be done, but you can't do it all.、Um, and if we tried to do it all on our own without the Lord. That's outside our gift, outside our our service, outside our sphere of influence or activity. We're going to wear out because it's going to be in the flesh. And so, yes, we need to be alert. Yes, we need to be ready. Yes, we need to fulfill the ministry that is given to us. But that's our focus. That's our sphere. So if your ministry is to teach Sunday school, don't be sitting there thinking, "Oh, I hope someday they ask me to do X, like get promoted." I don't know whatever that would be, but that's not the goal. The goal is to fulfill your ministry. If you're an evangelist, it's God's responsibility to save souls. It's your responsibility to sow the seed, and it doesn't have to be sown everywhere by you. If you're an administrator, man, you see all the things that need to be done and organized, and but you can't do it all. And we see things through the lens of our gift, and that can be frustrating because we want to help, but we have to remember that we are given a sphere in which we use our gift, and if we keep that focus. We won't be burned out, and when we're burned out, we're no longer awake and ready. Now we're no good. I've seen plenty of accountants burn out because of tax season after tax season because they don't know how to handle the pressure and the stress. They're no good after that. No good for that, I should say. So we want to be careful how ready and alert what that looks like for our lives. And know that God is a God of love and wants it to be a time where we're enjoying serving Him. Our Father, we're so thankful for the instruction that the Lord Jesus gave to His disciples. We're thankful that it's still relevant to us today. We pray for Your wisdom and discernment as to how this looks in our life.、Uh, there's no preacher alive that could walk up to each person in this room and say, "This is what it means for you." And yet, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit can take this word and apply it to our lives for us individually.、And、we pray that He would have that freedom to apply it to our lives and help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to be alert, to be ready, and to fulfill our ministry. We thank you for those that have served this assembly for decades and decades and are still serving. We're thankful for your brilliance in designing the local assembly as a place where we're still needed. Not a place for professionalisms where a career ends at some point, but a lifelong call of service until you call us home. We thank you for the food that's downstairs as well. We pray for all those people that are at Greenwood, and we pray that they would be having a spiritually profitable time. And we just commit the rest of the day to your hands in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.